We all want to go to work inspired, engaged, and connected. We want to understand AI in normal language, how it works, and how we can use it in our daily lives. Welcome to Working Humans, the podcast about leadership, culture, communication, and becoming an AI-powered professional, a fresh perspective, and some new ideas for the big disruption ahead. Today, we are going to be talking about recycling, and I don't mean the plastic, I mean the people. We have this way of looking at the world. We use things once and we throw them away, and this is true for both plastics and people. So just like we use plastic once, throw it into our drinking water, our landfills, this tends to come back and haunt us later. Companies do the same thing with their people. We tend to inhale and exhale staff based on this annual cycle. And since nothing ever disappears, a lot of times these people come back in other roles. They work for the supplier, the clients, or even the competition, which can be not the best thing for any company. So we're going to learn how to reuse, recycle, and reduce our human waste for a sustainable company culture. As we know, our planet is in a bit of trouble, and we've known this for some years. We are a little bit slow as humans to reuse and recycle and reduce. It's just not as much fun to recycle as it is to take a fresh, shiny plastic container, drink it up, and throw it in the trash. Because if we don't see it anymore, and if it's in a landfill, it doesn't exist, right? But it does. When we throw our waste into a landfill and move on to the next shiny object, this doesn't go away. It seeps into our drinking water, into our soil, and it comes back to basically poison us, even if we don't actually see it. Reorgs are an annual occurrence in many, many industries, and oftentimes it's the very first tool that leaders will reach for when faced with some sort of a disruption. They have to cut costs, there are unexpected shifts in demand, there is a whole new industry out there that they have to deal with, some scary new competition. What do you do? You have to cut costs, you reorg, you fire people, let them go. Reorgs, however, create a lot of uncertainty for everybody involved. They cause a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, disengagement, and with all that time spent polishing CVs and playing politics, this can result in a significant loss in productivity for the entire company for about a year if you're talking about a massive uh, reorg, which means anywhere between 10 and 15% of your personnel. This can cause 60% loss in productivity for everybody. This is a kind of annual company spring cleaning event. And what this does is it means that employees are permanently bathed in this kind of hot pool of cortisol. This is our primary stress hormone. This is our fight or flight state of mind, which will on the long term lead to anxiety, depression, headaches, hypertension, stress, and short-term memory loss. And what does that mean? Your employees will get dumber. So over time, this can morph into physical symptoms and long-term sick people. And not just for the ones that are are shown the door, but for also the mid-level managers who have to do the shoving. Nobody likes to fire people. And when you ask somebody to fire people on behalf of the company, this creates a significant amount of stress for those managers. When there's a massive reorg, this sets off radiating waves of 
quitting because you have this rise in the lack of psychological safety, a rise in toxicity and distraction. The top performers tend to leave too because they can't be at their best in that kind of environment. And then the sad part is, even with all of that, reorgs often don't even work. McKinsey found that more than 80% of reorgs failed to deliver on the promised value, and 10% of them caused actual damage to company culture and operation. And who suffers? The customer, most of all, with these kinds of damage to culture. Because when people are disengaged, they treat their customers like crap. When you have a massive company layoff, this is a company's way of exhaling. And then at, this, at the end of that, they suddenly realize that, oh, we don't have enough people to do the work. And then they need to inhale. They need to hire again because they lost more people than they were counting on. And the workload is spiraling out of control. People are leaving because they're ill or, or burned out. So suddenly you need more people. So now you have these kinds of shaken team members. They're missing their friends. They're missing their colleagues that they used to work with, looking around and seeing all these new faces. Wait a minute. We just laid off a whole bunch of people, including my friend, and now we're hiring new people right away? This is weird. How do you explain that disconnect? That's really, really hard to do because there's not really an easy answer. We just fired too many people, so now we're going to hire a bunch more new people. These new people are entering into a fairly toxic work environment, which means they may or may not stay. So as we shift our mindset in terms of our use of plastic on the planet, and we look at this planet as this limited resource, and that everything we use and throw away will not disappear, but will re-enter our ecosystem in some way, we also have to think of our people this way. A recent PwC global survey of CV CEOs said about 52% of them will need to cut costs due to outside pressure. But for the first time this year, the biggest line item, which is personnel, is not the first place they look for those cost-saving measures. About 60% of them are reporting in the late latest survey that they will not shrink their workforce to cut costs. So the first step is understand what needs to change. If cost cutting is on the agenda for this quarter, where is the money going? Look at other things besides personnel, equipment, materials, contract employees. What about supply chains, transport partners? What about IT platforms, hardware and software? And what about the physical space? Is that too expensive? Do we need all that office space? There are a lot of ways to tighten the belt. And you can also ask people to help think of ways. This is a nice opportunity to do a, an all-hands brainstorming session where people can find places to cut costs without having to let people go. The second thing is to identify underperformers. This is a separate process from a reorg. According to the GE chairman, Jack Welsh, the typical workforce breaks down into this 20-70-10 rule. It's a little bit controversial, but there's some elements that are quite interesting. What he's trying to say is that at any given time, 20% are these high performers. 70% are your average worker. They meet your expectations and they do their job. No frills, no whistles, nothing special. The bottom 10%, which you have at every organization, big and small, great and not so great, that bottom 10%, the underperformance, are the reorg bait. 
These are the people that have to be dismissed every year according to this CEO. What's interesting about this theory is not that you have to shove off that under 10%, but that this 10% will always exist. No matter how many reorgs or how many people are let go, that bottom layer of 10%, the underperformers, the people who do not meet expectations will always be there. But if these people are pinpointed, they can be worked on, they can be invested in so that they grow, that they expand, that they do better than they did before. These are the people who are bottlenecks. Often they are unwilling to change. They have a hard time evolving and growing. They don't always relate well to others. They're a bit more like rocks and less like this nice flexible water metaphor that we like. But still, if these people can be at least identified, they can be invested in and bring and brought up to the standard of at least that middle 70% instead of just laying them off. Of that lower 10%, you'll have 50% of them are probably just in the wrong place, in the wrong job, with the wrong manager, doing the wrong tasks at the wrong time. So half of that lower 10% might just need to be reallocated, gotten into a different team, doing a slightly different role. Maybe they were non-boarded. Maybe they were ignored. Maybe they had a personality issue with their manager. That 5% is workable. Then you have another 5%, that's the lower pool. Well, this lower pool will probably have to be shown the door eventually. They can also be cut down in hours. They can be reduced in their task responsibility and basically de-escalated as a person of means in the organization. They don't necessarily have to be let go. In fact, it's usually much more cost effective if they are not fired, but simply reallocated in a role that has a bit less pressure and a bit less to do. The next tip is to look at reducing the number of hours that people work. Let's say your company has a 40-hour work week. You can also move everybody down to a 32-hour week. That means if everybody takes a slight haircut, nobody will need to be released. This is a kind of cap-and-trade scheme that you can have within the company. So certain employees might want more downtime. They want to go back down to maybe 28 hours a week because they have at-home pressures or a new hobby or a new puppy that they really want to spend time with, and then they would like to take on more of an hour cut than somebody else. There might be, on the other hand, somebody who can't take an hour reduction. So this kind of a trading scheme can work. If this goes up and down the line, it goes to every single employee, including the CEO, including the shareholders who can have a vacation from their dividends for a little while, just until the company gets out of the current crisis. This is a great move in an optical sense because it shows that the chief of the tribe is not immune to the hardship experienced by everybody. And this definitely pays off when it comes to company culture because it looks really, really good. And finally, it's important to communicate clearly what is going on. Discuss what is going on as far as the options on the table. Allow the community to brainstorm together to find ways to all stay together, to reinvest the money that is needed to get a company out of a crisis situation without going into a massive layoff. And this will bring rewards. A working community is very often referred to as a family. And if a family is undergoing hard times, we do not 
eject our underperforming children or in-laws, we take the hit together. We stay together as a community. We keep our tribe intact. We get through it together. And this is a core value of a company. And the actions that are taken reflect these values. You can say anything you want on a company wall, but the actions show the kind of value that the company has. This is the feelings of belonging and safety, which will translate immediately into lower churn, lower rate of quitting. It will also create higher productivity. When everybody takes an hour reduction so that everybody can remain together, everybody will work those hours that are needed to get the job done because they are very thankful and grateful that this kind of measure was avoided, the layoff was avoided. This also will increase our creativity. When feelings of belonging and psychological safety are high, creativity, which is what every company needs to get out of a disruption, will increase as well. Finally, this cultural stand radiates outside the walls of the company. So a policy that's fact rather than theory is shared on the socials of your people, on the glass door reviews, and the business and beyond. It says, this is a good place to work. Good luck out there. And good luck with your recycling. Thank you for being a part of this episode. Subscribe, follow, so you never have to miss another one. These ideas are based on the Comic Books for Executive series. Go to postcovidhandbook.com.